0: You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Isle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Isle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemaineradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program.
1: Someone may go through their whole life not meeting somebody else. You know, when they come and they arrive in Maine, and it's the first time that they're meeting somebody.
2: How do we do it? Oh, all of a sudden one day you your world your world changes. It comes to a screeching halt.
3: This is Dr. Lisa Belial and you are listening to Love Main Radio, show number 213, Camp Sunshine, airing for the first time on Sunday, October 18, 2015. When children become seriously ill, their lives are forever changed, as are the lives of their families. For more than three decades, Camp Sunshine has been providing hope and help to families who are struggling with life-threatening illnesses. Today, we speak with Camp Sunshine Executive Director Michael Cates and Psychosocial Director Nancy Sincotta, as well as Meg Dermody, mother of a Camp Sunshine family. Thank you for joining us.
0: Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. Main seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobstermen bringing the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads for more information, visit theroomsportland.com.
3: There are people and organizations who we have on our um, radio show list, and we have them on our list for years and years. And for some reason, we don't quite get to them, but, but they're always in the back of our minds. And when we finally get to them, it's such, a, it's such a wonderful thing to finally connect. And today we are with two such individuals from Camp Sunshine, which is a f- really great organization that's been around for 30 years.
4: 31 years.
3: 31 years. Exactly. Today we have with us Michael Cates, who is the Executive Director of Camp Sunshine. He has been involved with the camp since its inception in 1984. Michael has also active in the camp community and serves as a board member for both Maine summer camps and the main camp experience. We also have with us Nancy Sincata who is Camp Sunshine's Psychosocial Director. She works with campers and their families, and she's also on faculty at Mount Sinai after having worked there for 30 years. Thank you so much for coming in. I know that, that it's still, it's a busy time all the time at Camp Sunshine and the fact that you're here. And Nancy, you're here having come up from New York where you have to go back and follow the Mets. That's very important. <laughs> uh-huh. So we're lucky to have you both here today. You're, you're, this, is a, this is a thing for you. Both of you have been with Camp Sunshine a really long time.
4: We have since, again, since its inception and it just it becomes part of your life.
3: Well, tell me about Camp Sunshine for people who are listening, and I can't imagine there are many that haven't heard of Camp Sunshine, but for people who are listening, give me a little bit of background on it.
4: Well, we are a a camp that sets up retreats or or respites for families that have a child with a life-threatening illness, Uh, and what kind of makes us a little bit more unique than any other camp is the the whole family joins us at camp. Um, The mom, the dad, uh, the children, the ill sibling, as well as the well sibling uh, join us, and and the whole family spend a week at camp. Uh, we run activities for the, the complete family, have act, the events. Uh, but what separates us, and, and I'll let Nancy speak a little bit more to that, is we also have a psychosocial program. So while mom and dad are enjoying camp, they also have the, the opportunity to, to build community, build resources, um, and, and get away from the challenges that they face on a regular basis, for, even if it's just for a short period of time
3: talk to me about that Nancy. I know that this is a this is a really important piece is the family, the the dynamics, the impact of a long-standing or even a shorter illness on a child and a family. What is it that Camp Sunshine does that makes you different? So, camp is
1: magical in a variety of ways. And as Mike was saying, I mean, we provide activities for families every member of the family to kind of in a way have an opportunity to get away from the illness, but we also provide avenues for people to talk about the illness. So it's actually kind of the blend of the recreational and the psychosocial piece that create this place where you can experience maybe more joy than you have experienced since your child was diagnosed, or since you were diagnosed if you're the child, and then you also can have an opportunity to connect with people on a level that you might not have in other places. So sometimes when you're diagnosed, you may feel isolated, your family may feel isolated, and that you're the only people in the world going through this experience, and you know, when you're growing up and you're a kid, you really want to be able to be like everybody else, and to know people that are going through the same journey that you are, and so you come to this place where suddenly everybody has a very similar experience to what you're going through, and I think it makes you feel like you're not alone anymore, and I think it makes families feel like they're not going crazy, that in fact, This is the path that people take, and these are the kinds of things that people think about and they experience. So it is a wonderful atmosphere for people to feel, I think, somewhat whole again. And I think that by having the whole family there, it allows people at every level of the family to connect with each other and to, I think, kind of leave having had what is a very therapeutic experience by virtue of all the different components of the program.
3: When Camp Sunshine began, it was um, weeks that were held at the beginning and the end of the summer. This was held at Point Sebago. Correct. And it was for kids with cancer.
4: Correct.
3: That was, that was the initial program. But now you're on your own campus, near, still near Point Sebago but uh, you also have families coming in year-round. You have programs for not just cancer, but specifically um, brain tumor, you have sickle cell anemia, um, you have some pretty rare illnesses as well. What caused that uh, to occur? Why did you go from two or three weeks with one specific disease process to year-round and many?
4: Well, the omission, the as, as you stated initially, Started with uh, serving the oncology community, uh, but there was also a need out there for other illnesses as well that had reached out to us, and that's how we we kind of expanded to illnesses like lupus, uh, the sickle cell as you referred to, uh, and also some rare diseases out there, Fanconi anemia. There, there was certainly a need for that community to to have an area where they could meet, um, and we've actually become kind of the natural national symposium for when they get together. Um, And it's just amazing to see uh, the resources that take place at camp for our Fanconi Anemia session there, where we have families come from all over the country, all over the world uh, to meet doctors that have come from all over the country, all over the world to to learn more about the illness and, and where they can go on their journey.
3: Nancy, you were saying that one of the things that was interesting about That aspect of things is that people can take a more active role in their own treatment plan and even in the research of the disease.
1: Yeah, we have three or four programs during the course of the year where people can come and they can meet people who are both doing the treatment of or research about their particular illness, and some of those illnesses are very rare. They're they're some of the bone marrow failure um, diseases, Fanconi anemia, Diamond Black Van anemia, Sch- Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome, and dyskeratosis anemia, and we're also starting to do that in the low-grade brain tumor community as well, and the thought would be is that people are stronger by being empowered with information and that they can, um, particularly when you think you have something very rare and there's only certain places in the country where the illness is treated, it gives you the opportunity to meet people that you may lead, lead, later need for treatment and for you to understand procedures, say you're gonna need a bone marrow transplant to understand the dynamics of that before you are in a situation where you need that service and it, it allows you to be able to kind of make connections that you might then later be able to reach out reach out to those physicians and those scientists to be able to do. And you know, in all of the illnesses that we serve we have the same sense among families when they become connected to each other. But in some of the rarer illnesses, someone may go through their whole life not meeting somebody else. You know, when they come and they arrive in Maine, and it's the first time that they're meeting somebody um, with that illness. So it is a pretty remarkable thing that happens for people in that situation.
3: I was surprised to learn that you have people coming, not just from Maine, but all over the country, and really all over the world. And part of what you provide, because all of this is free, Correct. Um, all, part of what you provide is actually transportation from different parts of the globe. That's that's a big deal.
4: Right. We don't want not being able to get to camp uh, financially or whatever reason it might be to limit a family from being able to get to camp and experience the, the resources that are available.
3: Nancy, one of the things that I think about um, and I, I think in part prompted by an earlier conversation that you and I had, was, is the long-term implication of some of these treatments upon children and their families. And I, I believe you and I were having a conversation because we're writing an article for Main Magazine about Camp Sunshine, and you were describing some of the treatments for kids with cancer that can have cause them to have problems with um, learning with perhaps emotions, behavior. Uh, we think about chemotherapy with cancer patients causing hair loss and you know physical problems. But when you're giving chemotherapy or radiation to a growing body, then you're really impacting brain cells and m- a lot more things that impact learning than perhaps adults have to deal with. So tell me about what that means to um, the parents who have saved their child from dying, but now are trying to help them move up through their education, perhaps try to go to
1: college. So I think for everybody, when your child is diagnosed with cancer, your first reaction is to do everything that you can do to cure your child. And I think that's the focus of the medical community. It's the focus of the family. And it is very much the the need at hand. I think one of the things that we see um, is that a lot of families of kids with leukemia and Um, some other diagnoses who've had a tremendous amount of chemotherapy and maybe radiation um, that in fact kids do have issues, um, some in executive functioning, some in learning, some behavioral issues and it is very hard re-entry back into the world where everybody is healthy and people don't have that experience and I think when you look healthy there is an anticipation that everything then goes back to normal and I think it can be quite a struggle for a child um, and a family to understand what the impact of the illness was and then what kind of supports that they need and um, and sometimes you have kids who are old enough that they are aware that there was something that they could do pretty well before they were diagnosed and then they have regressed to a place where it is much harder for them to do those things and I think So there's a lot of different struggles in how people learn what it is that the late effects are for them, then learn strategies to deal with the late effects and to understand if there are things that there will be hope that they can change and improve and go back to what was previously normal or what things people will need to learn to compensate with um, as they grow. And I think that because those things are, again, less visible, it becomes more complicated for the world to understand and for some people it feels again like they're on an individual journey to have people understand that and so then some of the empowerment comes to come to realize that it's not just your child that is experiencing this and I think it's really hard for parents sometimes because you feel like what is your role in parenting you know did you do something or is there something more you should be doing for your child and it becomes a different battle when you realize that this may be these may be things that are being faced by a lot of other kids in the community. So I think that there's there's a tremendous amount of education that needs to happen even after people are off treatment, and I think that is a way in which the pediatric world and the adult world are somewhat different. So there are late effects and maybe more lasting effects and more noticeable effects for children, but they're not as commonly known and managed.
3: And that's in direct contrast with... um, I guess the lore of the camp is that the co-founders were watching a news report on television and a reporter put a microphone in the face of a child who had cancer and said, how does it feel to know that you're going to die? And this was so striking to the founders of the camp that... um, That they said, well, well, we need to do that. I mean, how horrible that one would ask a child that question, first of all. And second of all, what can we do for these children who maybe are dying? But, Nancy, what you're saying is maybe they aren't dying. Maybe there are longer-term survival issues. And this has all shifted dramatically over the last 30, 31 years that the camp has been in existence. So, Mike, tell me how one... I guess walks that line between knowing that you have children who are perhaps um, have been immune suppressed because they're getting treatment for cancer, um, but also want to go in the swimming pool, also want to go out on the lake, and perhaps maybe they need assistive devices, maybe they need a wheelchair, maybe they need crutches. How do you provide a full camp experience uh, knowing that there may be different abilities that your campers and families have?
4: Right, well the the camp facility itself is set up with that in mind, so many of the activities are are geared towards having that ability for if a child does need some type of accommodation that we can fill that need. Um, Other ways that we work around that too is we also have uh, a number of volunteers that help each camp session, Uh, but if we do have a child uh, and we call them a one-on-one candidate, uh, we supply volunteers that would be just that mentor for that child. Um, so if there's any need for accommodations, that assigned volunteer will be there for that child throughout the whole week to, to make sure that, that child can be inclusive with the rest of the groups. Uh, and We have other items around the camp. Uh, in, in fact, to get into the pool, we have a, uh, a, a standard wheelchair accessible um, mechanical item that could get the children to the pool. We have on our play, playground a wheelchair accessible swing. Um, We've developed a lot of different ideas into the program so that everybody will be inclusive into the different activities and events. Um, And again, looking at the different varieties of where a child or where a family may be, um, we've adapted the program as well, or I should say expanded the mission. Um, Along with our our regular camp-type sessions, we do have a post-treatment session, which is where we hope that the the children go, but as Nancy had outlined, there's still issues attached to that as well, Um, but we've designed a session specifically for treatment families
3: there's also a room in the schedule for kids to be kids and adults to be adults and then for families to intersect so that's an interesting thing there's there's um, I believe adults have sort of adults night out um, when the kids are right um, I don't want to say <coughs> taken care of but I, I, I guess are involved in other activities why why is that important
4: uh, just for the, the wellness of the families, uh, for many families, many parents uh, dealing with an ill child and the challenges of having an ill child haven't had any time for themselves, haven't had that one night out. So uh, what we do at camp is we, we provide one evening where the uh, children are under the supervision of the volunteers. Uh, Mom and dad kind of, we transform our dining hall into a, a gourmet cafe, cafe area. Uh, they have a nice dinner and then they get to be the start of the evening as they perform karaoke. And while they're kind of letting loose and, and just enjoying themselves for, for an evening, um, the children are well taken care of. We have a, a sleep out with the 9 to 12 group. We uh, bring in things such as Owls of Maine to, uh, to entertain the, the younger children. Um, and while that's all going on, mom and dad can just, for one evening out of the week, you know, many times haven't had that opportunity, can just experience each other.
1: We also have these fun games, the super-duper blooper games, um, for adults and teenagers. And, you know, uh, a couple of years ago we had an interesting experience. A child was out of her group, kind of en route to the bathroom with two volunteers, and she peeked her head into the games. And they're very funny, and people laugh all the time. And um, she saw her parents, and she turned to her volunteer, and she said, you know, my parents forgot to tell me that they know how to have fun. And it's just kind of like a moment where you realize that kids see their parents stressed all the time, but here they come and there's the talent show, and maybe their parents get up and make a fool of themselves in front of everybody. And in a way, it provides, the activity itself provides a very encouraging atmosphere, and it really does bring people back to kind of laughter and fun and recognizing that they can, even if they're in the middle of this illness experience, they can still have fun and, you know, we are talking about activities before, you know, we have some programs like the retinoblastoma program where every child has an issue with sight. Some children have um, lost an eye to the disease, some have lost both, and so sometimes we will do something creative and we will have everybody, you know, wear, uh, you know, a, a bandana over their eyes so that they're doing the activity without sight. Or we've brought in games that um, use different balls and different activities that have bells and different things in them so that everybody will participate in something and there'll be <coughs> kind of an evenness about the experience. And we've had great luck in really kind of helping everybody see what the world is for the person who, who may not have sight. And so that's kind of like one example, but we, we have that happen in other programs related to the illness as well.
4: And we care some of the activities for that particular week that Nancy's referring to. We some of the the evening activities more audio va- based. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Rick Charette, who's big in the community around here. He, he doesn't com-
3: do something about bubblegum.
4: He does. He has a song about bubblegum, but he comes to camp uh, at no charge for that week uh, because he knows that the children have visual issues and uh, and he's all about music and making the children happy. So he comes in and, and donates his time and talents.
3: An important component of Camp Sunshine is is volunteering, and it's not just volunteering. Every session has its own set of volunteers, and every session is roughly a week long. It sounds like you also might have some weekend sessions that go on as well, um, but you also have people who have volunteered to do things like make quilts, and I, I was struck by the fact that you had a group that volunteered to make quilts, and you have these Lovely. Uh, they look like the units where people stay. The volunteers and the families are. They look like hotel. Very nice hotel. Hotel suites. Hotel yes. suites. <laughs> and you had so many people wanting to make quilts for these suites that you not only were able to do the initial beds, but you were able to give extra, extra quilts. There are so many people that want to give to Camp Sunshine. That seems like um, that's a, that's an interesting place to be because not every nonprofit has the number of people willing to volunteer that you do
4: right now we've we've been very fortunate um and it kind of reaffirms your faith in humanity when you when you see on all levels and and the quilting that you referred to is when we were first opening up the the facility our 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 facility that we're in now um we wanted to make it a little bit more homey um we had some folks in the quilting community that said geez we'd like to help how can we help and so we said well you know, putting quilts on the, the twin beds and the bunk beds would be a great start for the families. And they said, well, how many? And we said, well, we have 40 rooms. So between a set of twin, bunks, uh, a twin mm-hmm. beds, a set of bunk beds, and a futon, each room required five quilts. So they said, all right, well, let's send this out to the community. And they sent it out to the quilting community. And, and as you said, we've got enough quilts to put in all the rooms and enough to turn them over at the end of each week so we can, can can wash them as well as we have the the buildings are decorated with the quilts also so it's you put the call out there and they'd be amazed at the human spirit that that what comes back um, as far as each camp session it requires between about 80 and 90 volunteers to run a camp session um, as we divide the children into various age groups and want to make sure that uh, they're all well taken care of uh, the ratios that we have at camp uh, I don't think you find anywhere else at any camp across the country. It's, it's phenomenal and, and we get a lot of support for that. Um, and it's because of these volunteers that were able to run the camp. Um, each year probably use the neighborhood of about 2,000 volunteers just at camp sessions. Um, when you were out you would ask me about how many volunteers do you think you've used since its inception in 1984. Numbers at the beginning weren't quite as accurate, but I'd say roughly in our 31 years, just in Camp Sessions itself, we're probably in the neighborhood of about 28,000 volunteers that have, have worked at camp. Um, and that doesn't even factor in the volunteers that we use at our pumpkin festivals, at our polar plunges. So we're we're probably in the neighborhood of about thirty to 35,000 volunteers that have, have made Camp Sunshine happen, and we're very grateful for that.
3: And these are volunteers that uh, you very carefully try to match with um, you try to match their talents with the needs of the camp. You very carefully try to um, understand. make sure that the volunteers are um, appropriately educated and have the right background. I don't want to say background check. That makes it sound kind of onerous.
4: but Well no, actually we, we do, do do background <laughs> checks. Well, on that's all the volunteers. As well.
3: It's necessary and important. So yeah. these are people, So you've actually already vetted out probably other people, and you're still left with this enormous number of people who are volunteering.
4: Right, we're, we go to various workshops and seminars, and, and we're kind of the envy of all the, the non-profits, that, you know, where do you get all these volunteers? And again, it's just the experience that, that happens at camp. Um, they go home and they tell a friend or they tell a, a coworker, um, and it builds from there. Um, but we do, we vet the, the volunteers between reference checks and background checks. Um, and as you mentioned, we do try to, to put them in a placement where it's gonna be successful for them as well as camp. So if we have a, an individual that, say, maybe runs a day camp or a daycare at home, uh, more likely than not we're going to put them in with our tot lotters, our 3- to 5-year-olds. So it, it, it lends itself to success.
3: Nancy, your husband is not a volunteer, but he's employed by the camp. Um, and th- as the medical director, and his specialty isn't, is, I think it's pediatric Rheumatology. Rheumatology. So he's a pediatric subspecialist, but he's responsible. He's doing camp medicine, essentially. And and you're coming up back and forth from New York all the time. This has been an enormous commitment for you and your husband, and so so for your family, really. Why have you continued to do this?
1: So Camp Sunshine is a pretty amazing model, and it is not the kind of thing that you could do in the middle of New York City or in the middle of a major city because you need... We're on um, how many acres?
4: We've got about 30 Three. acres.
1: So we, we, um, we have the ability to do things that, um, again, are hard to imagine someplace else, and some of it is the combination of this amazing facility and then the people that we've generated. You know, we're talking about volunteers, and you think about, like, where would you have a cohort of 80 people who come together in the interest for the sole purpose in that week to make the magic happen and to really be able to meet the needs of the families who are present and to um, allow people to feel like they are so special and that dealing with the illness is it's a big deal but it's doable and that everybody can help you do it so I think that the commitment comes from the passion for the program which really provides a tremendous service to families and if you if you know people who are living with a life-threatening illness, you understand how difficult life can be, how difficult medical care can be, how many ups and downs there are on the roller coaster and how when people get bad news what that means. But you know we have kids who have you know uh, surgeries that I think some adults would never feel like they could recover from and you know that a kid goes into surgery knowing that you know I'm gonna have this brain tumor removed and I'm gonna in six weeks be at Camp Sunshine and I really want to be there and I think that we have become a very interesting component of the medical journey for a lot of people because I think there is kids are inspired to be able to get back and to do the activities and to be part of this and so we become kind of like a home away from home but I think an inspiration through the the journey and you become part of that, you become part of the mechanism that helps people actually live day to day with their illnesses and I think for whether you're a physician or you're a social worker the feeling that you can help and seeing that you help and seeing how much people value what you've done for them and how much they tell you you have helped them whether you have changed their life is something that is worth the many hours of commuting and the many years of commuting to do it. You know when Mike was talking before about volunteers there's this other component to the program where we've developed the opportunity for families to come back and volunteer and to give back to the community. We actually have an amazing donor that enable us to build a building for family volunteers and we have increasing number of families who've gone through the program and then are coming back to help other families. And you know some of the magic of that is if you're a parent of a child newly diagnosed with leukemia and you come to camp it's the first time you're letting your kid go into a group and there's a volunteer in the group who's has a child who was diagnosed with leukemia ten years ago like how who else could you be more comfortable with than to hand your child over to that person so we have not only people who are volunteering because they are altruistic amazing people we also have people who are volunteering because they know how much we have helped them and they want to help back help and give back to the community that they have come from so that you know you become inspired by watching 10, 12, 14 volunteers come and and be able to share kind of both their illness journey and their experience with Camp Sunshine. So it's an amazing program.
3: Mike, I know that all of this requires money, and this is why you have some great fundraising uh, events that take place over the year. You have some polar dips. in o- In October you also have the Pumpkin Fest at L.L. Bean.
4: We do. That will be coming up in October. Um great fun. We're looking for volunteers for that, as well as folks to just come out and enjoy the day. We have bands, is face painting, uh, and there are a number of carved jack-o-lanterns that they can see lit up. Um, and much like our volunteers that helped during the camp session, we have camp families that come out and help as well. Um, it's, it's just a nice day, and it's a great day of fun, so we encourage people to come out to that. That is in October. We also have a, a big Monte Carlo weekend that takes place at where camp initially started over at Point Sebago. We actually have a camp session on Caldey Session taking place at our camp and next door um, going on at the same time at the big Monte Carlo weekend and we look for people if they can donate any items that we put up for auction. Uh, That's one of our bigger fundraisers as well. Um, You mentioned polar plunges. That'll be coming up probably sooner than we would like as it gets a little colder here. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a great way. And then we've had some great corporate support as well. Um, this year alone, one of our, our, our biggest corporate supporter, Tropical Smoothie, stopped by camp and dropped off a check for a million dollars. So, very helpful to camp.
3: So those of you who are listening, if you have a Tropical Smoothie store in your area, please visit, please visit and <laughs> tell them that Camp Sunshine sent you. Yes. And yes. thank them. And thank them. What is the website for Camp Sunshine for those who'd like more information?
4: www.campsunshine.org O-R-G.
3: I really appreciate the the work that you've both been doing over the last three-plus decades now with Camp Sunshine. Um, it was a pleasure to go out and spend time with you at Camp Sunshine, and I look forward to, um, I know our readers of Maine Magazine look forward to our upcoming article about Camp Sunshine. We've been speaking with Michael Cates and Nancy Sinkata, both of Camp Sunshine. Um, keep up the good work, and thank you so much for supporting the children and families who are going through so much.
4: Thank you, and thank you for having us and helping spread awareness about Camp Sunshine.
1: Yes, thank you very much.
4: Love,
0: Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by their store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to M A C. P-A-G-E.com.
3: It is my great pleasure today um, to have with me an individual who has lived a life I hope never to live, sadly, and, and, but she's, she's living it in a really great way, so it's kind of an interesting story. Meg Dermody is the mother of Finn and Shay. She grew up in South Paris. She's an artist and an art teacher. Her husband grew up in Portland. Their family became involved with Camp Sunshine the year after Finn's diagnosis with high-risk medulloblastoma which is a brain tumor, for those of you who don't know. And the high-risk thing, that kind of scares me. So this is what I mean when I say you're living at least that part of it. That is the part of the life that I have always, as a mother, um, thought, I don't know how people do it. I guess you're going to tell us.
2: Tell us about Finn. How do we do it? Oh, all of a sudden, one day, you your world your world changes. It comes to a screeching halt. It happened when Finn was in kindergarten. He was just started. He was five years old, and you're living a completely simple, normal life. And he was diagnosed. He, we just ended up in the ER all of a sudden to find a brain tumor. He was. He would wake up, and he would. His symptoms were showing for about three months. He would wake up and vomit, here and there, and frequently. We didn't know what was going on with Finn, and he you asked me how did i did it how do i do it um i guess is the question and you don't have a choice it it just happens and you as a mom know that you just you do anything for your kids no matter what the situation is and we just more forward well
3: i think about this um I think I've mentioned on the show before, for people who are listening, that I have I, always felt it important to support the causes of the Maine Children's Cancer Program and the Center for Grieving Children. And mostly, I would do this as a doctor. I knew it was important, but, important, but it was also like kind of warding against anything happening to my children. And pretty much as soon as I got pregnant with my oldest, who is now 22, I began to fear the thing that all parents fear, which is that something will happen to mm-hmm. my child. But you're talking about the reality of something really bad happening to your child. Yeah. And watching him go through this this illness and not knowing really what's wrong, and then finding out something's really wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's, you're right, there's no choice. You just, it is what it is. Yep. You still, this is still your child that you love. And you have to move forward with it. But but this is just so, um, I guess, unfathomable for most parents, really.
2: It is. You kind of go into shock when it happens, I would say. Um, to have everybody around me supportive. Um, my family, like I said, I grew up in Maine. My husband grew up in Maine. So all of my family was close by. So they were there to kind of pick up the pieces that kind of fall apart when it happened. I mean... Like I said before, like you, you kind of float through life in a in a normal pace. Like you, you wake up, you send the kids to school, you everything's just da 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 da, and it just, just it just falls apart because your new life is in the hospital every day, day in and day out. And something like cancer, it's not an appendix or anything like that. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Our oncologist would say that to us to take our time and pace it and you have to we had amazing social workers next to us who would just say this is your this you are your home because I struggled with that because you know as a stay-at-home mom I mean I create my home and I value it so much so just to be ripped apart from your home your family your routine and she said to me your you are their home so you are for your kids you are home so to make to keep that love around my kids and that was kind of our my philosophy going through the whole thing I was pretty calm going through the whole thing and it was just here we're going to make home here now this is our new normality and we're just going to do it now, the way you described Finn
3: going into kindergarten um, was very talkative and vi- mm. curious and vivacious and kind of yeah. ready to take on the world and it was the fall of his kindergarten year that he started having these episodes of vomiting, and you were just knowing that something wasn't really quite right with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then you needed to have, he needed to have surgery. Yeah. And his personality changed, and actually his whole physical self really changed
2: after that. Completely changed, I felt. it's as, This is what's very sad. I felt like I lost my child for months because after surgery, some kids, it's when they go into that area of the brain, you don't really know the outcome, but Finn had a... A condition called posterior fossa syndrome and it's just basically the trauma that's left after the surgery and he couldn't walk he couldn't talk he was mute for about two and a half months afterwards he couldn't move his arms and legs um, his first sentence so after he did start talking was where's my iPad so <laughs> wait that we got that a okay. kick he was like finally I can say where's my get me my iPad <laughs> But it was, it's, I mean, that was my biggest struggle, was just not being so afraid that he didn't know what was going on. I mean, or, I mean, not to be able to communicate with your child, not to reassure them. That's the only way I could re- show him that we're all here, family was here. I'd bring in lamps in the hospital room and make it as homey as possible, and no one would ever leave his side. Either Tim or I were right there with him. We were passing ships in the night. We, you know, like I said, my our family kind of just broke apart. We weren't all together all the time. We were when we could. Shayla was one years old at the time, and she loved it. Uh, she loved the playroom and child life services, and everybody at Barbara Bush is amazing. We did most of our treatment at Barbara Bush, and then we went down to Boston for other things, but.
3: Yeah, you, just, you you described that you were still you were still nursing her when you yeah. found out about this. So in addition, so you're still trying to have like you're trying to help your one one and a half year old with her like normal development, normal nourishment, yeah. and you're and then you're struggling with this this other situation. Yeah, but it's interesting that. It's interesting that she just didn't know any difference. So she was just as happy. There's a playroom. It was normal for her. Exactly. There's people to talk to. There's people to interact with. It was exciting
2: for her. And, um, which is strange, but he, you know, we think about, you know, if and we talk with many camp, families at Camp Sunshine. Everybody has different experiences, and the kids that you know, if they're already in a routine like going to school, it's it's harder on them. So for Shayla to be that age and her personality, it it didn't disrupt her too much. So we were, I don't want to say grateful really, for that situation. But
3: so Camp Sunshine, I'm I'm interested in this. I went and visited, and they do have an amazing structure, physical plant. They, you know, they have boats on the waterfront, and they have. Um, just a beautiful pool area and and then they have great people working there they have great volunteers but it seems like what families have described um, predominantly is is getting back a sense of normalcy and getting back a sense of just the importance of the family unit Mm -hmm. and I I don't know can you speak to that
2: yeah it it makes, it does give you back some normalcy. I mean, one of our first things we did when we, after, cause Finn's treatment was pretty intense. Like most brain tumors, we just lived in the hospital. We waited to do all these things until after his treatment. One of the things was a Make-A-Wish trip to Disney. And it's, I had said to you earlier, it's, it's comparable to that. It's Finn's childhood was ripped away for about a year and a half. He missed out on kindergarten. So to have these opportunities like Camp Sunshine you go and the whole family is treated you're all you're all given that attention and just to be able to relax a little bit and not have to worry about everything and know that your kids are there's the volunteer ratio is amazing and to have that relief of my kids are being taken care of I can relax as a parent what are some of the activities that you enjoyed doing For me or for my kids? Well, both. Really? (laughs) Oh, the activities at Camp Sunshine. Um, You know, it's really simple stuff. Like, they have this thing called the Super Duper Blooper Games, and that's hilarious because it's just the adults divided into teams. You're never on the team with your spouse. And you do silly games like the kids do, like pass the hula hoop through a circle. It's good, just simple fun that just makes you laugh. And laugh is laughing and just relaxing is an amazing healing process it's refreshing it's revitalizing so that was that's a funny one to do and there's a love cup trophy at the end which is very sought after and the other activities always the parents discussion group it's always nice to just get to know who's in the group that session hear their stories help if you can they can help you continue to support the community that's kind of growing there within the families and for the kids, you know, Finn was, he's in a new age group this year, and so he's in the 9 to 12s, and, you know, he did different things. He did the rock wall, the challenge course, so there are amazing opportunities for him to grow because the side effects of a brain tumor are pretty severe, and we struggle with him. Even though he's in remission for three years, his cancer doesn't, le- he doesn't go away. And that's why Camp Sunshine is so nice. You can always come back. It doesn't, it doesn't end
3: yeah, in our conversation, you were saying that Finn has really noticed some of the things that um, have been impacted by his brain tumor. like maybe his balance isn't quite what mm-hmm. he would like it to be. and if as you're you know if you're a nine year old you're you're out there playing sports with your friends mm-hmm. or even just walking down the hall at school. So some of these things that, I mean, yeah, you can get rid of the brain tumor, you can be in remission, but there's still after effects that these kids deal with on an ongoing basis. yeah. So, how about Shayla? How did she like Camp Sunshine? And how does she like Camp Sunshine? She
2: loves it. She looks forward every time. She, every time we come back, she asks when we're going again. Um, she's a little social butterfly, so she makes friends very easily. She picks that one right away when she gets there. So, I mean, she loves it. It's no question she's going to grow up there. I mean, we'll continue to go through... Throughout Finn's development, and you know, hopefully, like when we're all grown, when they're all grown up, being so close, I'll come back and volunteer. And a lot of families do that when they get to a place; they'll come back.
3: And you're now um, at the stage where you are with Finn when yes. Finn was diagnosed this this fall. Yes, is where you are with Shayla. Yes, does that bring anything up for you?
2: It did it, not. I, it did pretty well, actually when she got on the bus I'm doing well now it was before I would say probably around May I was getting a lot of reoccurrence of it's just knowing it wasn't going to happen again but just experiencing the the marker of when it happened to Finn and I guess I think what really hits home is just having not known for so long with Finn it went for three months before we knew so just kind of It falls back to that time of we didn't know, and this is going to happen. So, but I'm doing okay. So, because it it won't happen again to Shayla. So,
3: yeah, it's not. It's not really a genetic. No, it's not.
2: There are some brain tumors that are that they have to test sibling for, but uh, his is not one of them.
3: And then you also have. um, So you have that. Possibility. That's the sort of the echoes of what happened with one of your children, and that possibly causing you to worry a little bit about the other child. But you've described Finn as being, he's in remission.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think you told me that you have to be five years out before you're considered to be a survivor. Yes. And they're still following him on a very regular basis.
2: Yes. We just graduated to every six month scan. Before, we were every three months, every four months. We were every three months for about over two years. Just Maybe had two years, yeah, and then we went to four months. So for you, it's this
3: isn't something that ever really goes away. It's nope. you know there's always the next appointment that, and you want to you know get yes. to the next clean scan, to the next clean bill of health. Yeah, it's something that just it's kind of there.
2: Yeah, and a lot of follow up care with all the side effects, it's hearing, it's um, vision. His vision was affected. Um, a lot of things. We we know a lot of doctors.
3: <laughs> and you've done occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy. You've, you've, and from what our com- in our conversation, you said he's graduated out of a lot of a lot of therapies, but he's mm-hmm. still he's still being cared for and supported. Yep. So, I guess I wonder um, how this has impacted you and your husband, because. It's not an easy thing to go through this in a family. And everybody, you know, you focus on the the child that is really being impacted. Or if it's cancer or any any sort of major illness, you focus on the one who's having the thing wrong with them. But then there's a whole other set of dynamics that goes on. And if you and your husband were ships passing in the night for some period of time, and you're trying to raise two small children, and he's trying to work, and how... How did that go for you?
2: It wasn't without stress, I'll tell you that, because we handled it very differently. I mean, Tim and I love each other very much, and it we have that foundation of love, so it never. I mean, it's really it's really hard to to go through that, and some couples don't make it because it's so stressful. But um, we just we had two different ways of handling it. We compliment each other nicely, and. He, you know, he was the one. He's an engineer. He was the one making sure everything was done, um, written down and do not miss this, don't miss that and and I was more of the nurturer, the caretaker and just kind of focusing on, okay, we don't have anything to worry about, so I'm not going to worry. Um, so I kind of remained calm. He was a little bit less calm. And it caused it caused a lot of stress because you're know, like, you know, just calm down, Tim. Um, but, you know, just like the diagnosis, you you muddle through it and you get your space and we come back at the end and we're grateful and we hug each other that we're, we have Finn. I mean, the night before surgery was just horrifying, just looking at each other, looking into each other's eyes, not knowing if we were going to lose our child the next day. I mean, just facing that was horrible, so... Wasn't without difficulties. But we did it. The the nurse staff would joke to see who was on. Is Meg on? Is Tim on? Oh Meg's on. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, poor Tim. <laughs> He's he, he, he makes sure everything's done. He won't let anybody slide, you know.
3: Well, you know, I think you that's an important point is that in most couples, in most yeah. families, there's a set of um, Relationships that are, if it works well, are very yeah. complementary. Yes. So, in you know, in some ways, you're right. You could be who you were. He yeah. could be who he was. And you were both able to really contribute something significant to yeah. keeping your family going. Yep. I'm assuming that's kind of why you got together in the first place is that you complemented so.
2: each other well. <laughs> I think we do. And at the heart, there's love. So, I mean, that just holds us together. We just start undying love for each other and for our kids. So...
3: And Camp Sunshine actually has an emphasis on the parents as well. Isn't there a parent, yes. parents' night out?
2: And yes, with karaoke. <laughs> Sober karaoke. Wow. <laughs> well, tell me about that. It's really funny. It's, it's like I said, it's more laughs. I mean, they have a nice parent dinner. They take the kids out. Um they do like an or the nine to twelve year olds do an overnight, so Finn got to do that, and then they take the younger ones for a movie late, so it goes till about ten. They serve usually turkey and stuffing and a really nice dinner. They have the tablecloths out, they have a they hire a karaoke DJ and it it goes it's it's always interesting. It's usually a lot of people setting everybody up for ridiculous songs. So more laughs, which is very healing. Which song did you sing? This past one, Mm -hmm. I was set up for pink. Pink? Yes, because I had pink hair at the time. Okay. (laughs) How'd it go? It was fun.
3: It seems like that would be important, that you'd have to kind of laugh about some of this stuff while you're going through.
2: Humor is important. And, yeah, you have to kind of develop an interesting sense of medical humor going through it that normally you wouldn't joke about, but just kind of have to.
3: Yes, I, I, when I was going through my own set of surgeries and looking at the various, what that would mean over time, like the actual, like the drains that would be coming out mm-hmm. of my body and the scars that would be left, I would just have to look at it and be like, you know, I could cry about this, but you know, this kind of ridiculous really in the end. And yeah. so if you can laugh about it, if you can get to that place,
2: yeah.
3: it can somehow help you heal, I think. Yeah. Maybe a little harder when it's your, when it's
2: a child of yours, I guess. It's hard. We probably took it out in the residence mostly, but... <laughs> well,
3: tell me about that because I, you know, I did my training at Maine Medical Center and mm-hmm. it was um, Barbara Bush, the children's hospital was just, had just been completed. Right. And... Um, I remember that the nurses were so very protective of the patients, especially the patients with cancer. They did not want us experimenting on these children in any way whatsoever. And as a resident and a medical student, I, I never wanted to experiment, but you know, there is some educational aspect to some <laughs> of this. And you don't have the same long-term relationship that, say, a nurse might. But in the end, I felt like um, the team that developed around a patient, a child, a family, was could could be very could really be very um, strong and helpful and supportive. What was your experience like?
2: They definitely become part of your. They become family, uh, especially the nurses because they are they are very protective, and you get to know them when, especially when you spend that much time in the. I mean, we were we lived there, so. The nurses were just amazing there and your doctors I mean everybody that plays a role
3: so I'm just curious as you were going through this with your son and with your family um, what were some helpful things that people did or said when for you because I think that there's always this question like I know that this terrible thing is happening Um, I don't know what to say and maybe there's I don't I won't say anything Mm. what were things that people when they reached out to you what what was useful to you or what was what meant something to you
2: I guess everybody's individual way of expressing their support and their love speaks even if it wasn't anything specific um whether you're religious or not I mean just people praying um not not you, but in general, um just people thinking about you really it it carries you a long way people uh my sister set up a supportive meals, so just having people bring in food, feed us, take care of little things at the house, um people's individual ways of just showing that they they're thinking of you in whatever way that it is whether it be big, whether it be creating a fundraiser or just, you know, our local librarian bringing over books for us because we don't go to the library anymore. I mean, things like that. So it sounds like in your mind there's not really a wrong answer. I don't think that's a wrong answer.
3: And is that similar with the volunteers at Camp Sunshine? Is If they're they're willing to be there, they're willing to show up? Yeah.
2: And they're amazing. I always want to take them home with me because <laughs> they're, they're all just thrilled to be there they become such a it's a relationship between the families and the volunteers something magical happens there at Camp Sunshine and we all get something out of it you'd think it would be the saddest place on the earth and it's it's not there are very sad times but everybody appreciates a lot of things so you don't you kind of leave the normal life of just the day-to-day, all those little things that people, like, fuss about. And it disappears at Camp Sunshine. It just disappears. So that's why we never want to leave. How many years have you been going there now? Just, oh, what was that, 2013, summer of 2013, so
3: two years. Yep. And you get to go until Finn's 18. I I don't know. Is that it? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think so. I think that they. I, think, I haven't
2: looked at that part yet. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking
3: you've got some. You've got a good long time yeah, ahead of you. Yeah, we do.
2: I, that would make sense. Yeah, because the teen group they would graduate out of the teen group.
3: And then, from what I understand, and I could be wrong. So, people who are listening, if I'm wrong, I, I'm owning it right now. <laughs> but from what I'm understanding, then you, there are other ways that you can go back, even if your child yeah. has gotten to. Aging a lot out. of
2: people come back and volunteer. A lot of patients come back and volunteer. Well
3: Meg it's a family. I family. It does. It it's it I always learn something from my conversations. And um I really appreciate your taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I know you put the kids on the bus this morning, you know, mm-hmm. you're trying to juggle all of this stuff, and you're willing to come in and talk. I'm gonna give a shout out to your husband because I certainly want him to know that <laughs> he's with us here in spirit. You represented him well. You're here, Tim. That's right. You're here, Tim. <laughs> Um, But I appreciate your talking with us and sharing with us um, what this this has been like to go through. And I encourage people to think about what you might be able to do yourself or people in your community who have um, children with cancer or even any other sort of serious illness, whatever it sounds like, according to what Meg says, whatever it is that you can do will be appreciated. And maybe even a Camp Sunshine volunteering position, maybe even that. We've been speaking with Meg Dermody who is the mother of Finn and Shayla and wife of Tim an artist and um, advocate for Camp Sunshine. Thanks so much for coming in and talking with me today. Thank you.
0: Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Mary Libby of REMAX by the Bay, whose 15 years of experience and unique perspective on the industry puts creativity and enjoyment into house hunting. Specializing in properties in southern Maine, mary will work with you to get to know your wants desires and dreams and make sure that the home that you move into is as close to perfect as it gets and she'll make sure you have fun along the way because while moving is one of the more stressful life events you'll encounter finding the right home doesn't have to be if you're looking to buy or sell a home in southern maine be in touch with mary and find out more about why when it comes to buying and selling real estate a good time really can be had by all mary libby of remax by the bay if you don't have fun doing something why do it at all? Go to MaryLibby.com for more information.
3: You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 213, Camp Sunshine. Our guests have included Michael Cates, Nancy Cincotta, and Meg Dermody. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Read about Camp Sunshine in an upcoming issue of Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, Sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa, and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. we love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Camp Sunshine Show. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast and take a moment to give us feedback on iTunes. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life.
0: Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, McPage, Apothecary by Design, The Rooms, and Mary Libby. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Alby. Our editorial producer is Kelly Clinton. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis, and our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grassanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our host production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.